0: Well, there is something that happens to a person when they understand that they have been given a God-given purpose in life. I remember way back when I was in seventh grade, I wanted to be a pastor when I grew up. and It was all because I had a pastor at that time who I really admired, and he made an impact on me. But I was pretty young, and by eighth grade, the next year, I thought I wanted to be an architect. So there you go. And by my sophomore year of high school, I wanted to go into advertising and work on Madison Avenue, and by the time I went off to college, I wanted to be a menswear buyer for a high-end department store. (laughs) I kept changing my mind. I did get a business degree, and I did work in retail management for about five years, and then I discovered that wasn't quite the career that I was looking for, and so I changed again, and I worked in bank management for about another 10 years, and it was only then that God began to call me into pastoral ministry, and I found myself asking the question, God, what am I supposed to do with my life? Maybe you have asked yourself that question at some point in your life. Maybe you have just lost your job and you started wondering what you should do next. Or maybe you reached a point in your job that felt kind of dead-end-ish and you just didn't like it anymore and you wondered what you should do. Or maybe your youngest child finally went off to college and you said, wow, I don't have anyone that I have to parent full-time anymore. What should I do now, God? Or maybe you've just retired and you are wondering, what is there for me to do now? Well, I remember a family who moved to Dayton, and they joined the church where my young family and I were attending um, at the time. This was in 1990-something, or rather. John was in the Air Force, and he was stationed at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and so their family moved around a lot. I remember the very first Sunday that he and his wife, Alicia, were at our church. They said, we were in the praise band at our last church, and that's what we want to do here, too. And our church had recently started a contemporary worship service, and so we said, yeah, great. When can you start? And they said, well, we'll start next Sunday. What time is practice this week? I'd never met anyone like that before that just jumped in with both feet. So many times people wait a long, long time before they get involved in anything But John and Alicia had learned what they were good at, what they were gifted at, and how God was calling them to serve. And because they moved around a lot, they knew that they didn't have any time to waste. If they were going to serve in a church, they had to start now before they were moved again. Well, maybe there have been times when you've asked yourself the same question, God, what is my purpose in life? Our scripture today is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I'm going to be reading from chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. For Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul probably wrote this book, the book of Ephesians, from a prison in Rome about 30 years. After Christ's resurrection, he writes about the person of Christ and the church, which we learned last week, he uses and refers to the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the church. In chapter 4, Paul writes about how the church is to operate, and he begins way back in verse 1. He says, "'I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received.'" worthy of the calling you have received. You have a calling. Each of us has a calling to make a difference. I like the way the message, transliteration of the Bible puts it. Eugene Peterson says it this way, I want you to go out there and walk, better yet run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. So what road has God called you to travel? Do you know? Are you on that road? Or have you somehow wandered off down some dead-end road and now you're trying to figure out how to get yourself back on track? I remember when I first felt called to be a pastor, I tried to avoid it. I mean, I was already well on my way, I thought, to what I was supposed to be doing 15 years into my business career. And Marge was excelling in her own career. Our three children were already involved in school. We had a home, a community, and a church that we really loved. Now, don't get me wrong, when I say calling, I don't mean full-time ministry in a local church or even becoming a missionary and serving somewhere in a foreign country halfway around the world. It might mean that. But the truth is we're all missionaries, each and every one of us. The moment we become baptized into Christ and the church, we are on a mission, a mission to our families in our place of employment, in our school, in our neighborhood. Your calling might be to be a parent, a small group leader, a youth mentor, a teacher, a manager. The possibilities are endless. And as you follow your God-given calling, Paul encourages us to do it in a way that is worthy of the name Christian. It's what Paul refers to as character. And he spells that out for us in in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Character traits like humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other in love, keeping unity in the bond of peace. Now, unity is important in an organization, isn't it? it's important in any organization but is is especially essential in the church and if you've ever been in a church where there wasn't unity you know exactly how detrimental it can be so paul wants to make sure his readers understand this that there is one body One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And the purpose of that, he tells us in verse 13, he says, Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, the goal is spiritual maturity. He wants all of us to live in a growing, maturing, Christ-like, Christ-following kind of way. And the way that happens is through the gifts of the Spirit. Paul writes about five of those gifts that are foundational for leadership in the church. And he names them apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And while most of us are familiar in the church with the last three, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, the first two, apostle and prophet, might not sound quite as familiar or common to us today in the local church. But they are still gifts for the church today. We need prophets, we need apostles as much in the church today as they did in the first century when Paul was writing So many times we think of the 12 disciples as the 12 apostles and that they're the only apostles. But that's not true. Even in the Bible, other apostles are named. Paul, Barnabas, Andronicus, and a woman named Junia are also called apostles in the New Testament. And I believe that there are still apostles and prophets alive and at work in the church today. Paul goes on to tell us about the purpose of the roles of the spiritual gifts in verse 12. They are to equip God's people for works of service. Other Bibles translate that word ministry, but service and ministry are really the same word. And so the job of leaders in the church is to equip all of us, the rest of us, for ministry. You see, in the New Testament, there, there isn't any distinction between the laity of the church and the clergy of the church like there is today. Every single believer was and is expected to do the work of ministry with the goal, Paul says, so that the body of Christ may be built Now, of course, there are more than just the five gifts that are listed there in this section of Ephesians. We can find some of those others in Romans chapter 12 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, "...to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given." To each one... So don't be sitting here thinking, hey, I don't have any spiritual gifts. God must have skipped over me when he was passing those out. No, that's not true. The gifts of the Spirit are given by Christ, and each person in the body of Christ, that's you, all of us, has been given at least one. Now, you may not know yet what your spiritual gift is. You may not be using it, but you have at least one and what is a spiritual gift? It's an ability that's given us by the Holy Spirit. We all have natural talents, right? But spiritual gifts are beyond that. They're not natural, they're supernatural. The Greek word is charismata, which means a gift of grace. And it's where we get the word charismatic from. Notice Paul says that these gifts are given for the common good. They're not just for us to hang on to and use so we can be happy about ourselves. They've been given to us so that we can share them with everyone for the common good. They're to help the whole body of Christ grow to spiritual maturity. Sometimes I hear people in church say something like, I want to be fed when I go to church. And I get that. I understand what people are saying when they say that. I mean, people want to grow deeper in their relationship with Christ, and that's a a good thing. But one of the best ways that you can grow in your relationship with Christ is to use your gifts to help other people. As you pour yourself into other people serving them, you'll begin to discover God is going to use you in new ways that you never dreamed about before. And in the process of all of that, you will begin to grow deeper in your own spiritual life. Let me read for you Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, you and I were created We were created, we are hardwired by God to serve our world with meaningful work. That's the way God made us. And not only are we created for good works, but there's a sense that that is our destiny. Paul writes, God prepared these works for us in advance for us to do. It's as though each and every one of us has a special purpose or a special job to do here on earth that God designed just for us and that we're the only ones who can ever do it. Now, sometimes it takes a while to find that purpose in our life. Sometimes we might try several different things before we find out what our purpose is. Ephesians 2.10 stands as a vivid reminder that there is more to the Christian life than just wanting to get to heaven when we die. And yes, faith in Christ is important. And faith in Christ is the beginning of the Christian life. And followers of Jesus have to remember that they are called to a life of faith, a life of faith that is demonstrated by good works. You see, sometimes pastors, some pastors I've known, sometimes even myself, I'm sorry to say, think that we can do it all on our own. And the truth is we can't. Pastors are called to equip people as a leader of the church and then get out of the way and release and unleash people to go and put into practice the gifts and the calling that God has given each person to do. We are all called. We are all redeemed. We are all gifted to make the wonderful light of God known in a world that is too dark without the light of Christ. Peter writes about it this way in chapter 4, verse 10. He says, "...serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received." And you know what? Churches that are significantly making an impact in their communities are doing exactly that. They are serving with the gifts they've been given so that everyone benefits from this. You benefit because you start being fulfilled when you're used by God. The church benefits because we start playing like we're a real team. And then the community benefits because they start seeing the church in action, Showing the love of God in the world. So, where is your place to serve? You might be thinking, I guess I have to find something to do here at the church. Maybe, but maybe not. I want to tell you a story from Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were on their way up to the temple for a prayer meeting, and they came across a man who had been lame since his birth. And he's sitting there at the main gate and he's asking for alms. He's begging from all the religious people going by. He sees Peter and he sees John and he asks them for some money. And Peter replied to him. He says, I don't have any money. I don't have any silver or gold, but here's what I will do. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Walk you know what happens? The man got up and he walked. And he's overwhelmed that he'd been lame since birth. And now he's standing and walking and he's excited and he's shouting and he's jumping and praising God. And a little revival breaks out right there on the street. But notice where Peter and John did that good work. It was right where they encountered it right where they encountered it. Wherever you encounter a need, that's where your goodness needs to be put into practice. Peter and John do good whenever they see a need. And you know what? Maybe it made them late for their prayer meeting that day. I don't know. Maybe they thought, wow, this is pretty inconvenient, God. Couldn't you have made someone else stumble across this man? But you know what? When you go home, do good. When you're out in your neighborhood, do good. When you see a car by the side of the road broke down, do good. When you go to work on Monday, do good. That's the place to do good. Wherever you are, in a restaurant, eating after church today, wherever. The where is wherever you are. Now, friends, one of the greatest things about the Christian life is the mystical guiding Whispering, prompting power of the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit that said to Peter and John as they looked at that lame man, This one has the faith to be healed. This is a good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do. I'm going to use you today, Peter and John, to change this man's life. So, you know what? throughout the course of your day, the Spirit's going to prompt you, too. Going to prompt you to do some works of good that the Spirit wants you to do. Oh, it's not going to be every single person that you see. That would be overwhelming. Who, which one of us could do it? But all of us can meet the needs that are whispered in our ear. We just need to be listening. We just need to make ourselves available We just need to be ready to respond. Think about it this way. God is good. Amen? And one of the things that God delights in is doing good in God's creation. I mean, God made this amazing planet that we live on, filled with oceans and mountains and beautiful, cool, not very humid August days in Cincinnati, Ohio. He created mountains and hills and valleys and beaches and rivers and And then he placed us, human beings, in the midst of all of that. Oh, we fouled things up pretty early in the Garden of Eden and sin became a reality. And so God went about doing what only God could do and sent to earth his most precious gift, his one and only Son. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he solved the problem of our sin once and for all. And so now we can receive the gift of salvation at no cost to us. Ephesians 2:8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And when that happens, God fills us with God's goodness and he wants us to use the goodness that's been placed in us to spread goodness to the rest of the world. I like what Mother Teresa used to say. She said that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus and the good that Jesus wants to do, he does through people like you and like me. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says, How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. It's that love of God in us that compels us to want to serve others. We demonstrate God's love to others by meeting their needs, their spiritual needs, their emotional, relational, and physical needs. Jesus said, even a cup of cold water given is an act of service. And it's because God has been so good to us that we want to make a difference in the lives of other people. And so we go and we serve, not out of duty, not out of guilt, not even out of fear, but because of joy and gratitude and love. The Bible says that God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. You might have heard me say before that if you can't give cheerfully to God, then don't give at all because God wants a cheerful giver. And I'd say the same thing about serving. If you can't serve cheerfully, don't do it at all. Because if you do it for any other reason than love, it's not doing much good to you. It's not doing much good to anyone else. So you might be asking, how do I get started? Well, you know what? Here at Anderson Hills, we like to make it easy for you. Go out of church today, stop by the Red Tower in the Connection Center and pick one or two or half a dozen different ways that you might serve this week. Do it with a family member. Do it with a friend. Do it in your neighborhood, at your workplaces. There are all different opportunities for you to serve. And if you've never figured out what your spiritual gifts are, we'll help you with that too. One of our own staff members, Pam Schwartz, Who is our director of lay mobilization? Would love for you to call the church office and ask to talk with Pam. She'll help you find and discover what your spiritual gift or gifts are and how you can find joy in serving in the world. Usually, I think the best way to do is just to jump in and get started, like my old friends John and Alicia did so many years ago that first Sunday at church in Dayton. Get your feet wet, just try something. It might not work out, and that's okay. Try something else. There's one thing that I've learned about myself from my failures, and I've learned more from my failures than I have from my successes. Amen? A lot of times I've tried something, and I discover that it's not my strength or my gift. But when I discover that, then I go on to find what is my strength or my gift. Jump in. Get your feet wet. Try something. Serve church is a place to come and get equipped to try things out in a safe place. So I want you to try a lot of different things, but there is one thing that I don't want you to do. And that thing is nothing. You're never going to grow in your faith if you do nothing. There comes a point in each and every one of our lives when all the sermons you've ever listened to when all the Bible studies you've ever taken are just not gonna be enough. You gotta take all of that stuff together, all the things that you've learned and read and studied and just go do it, put it into practice to make a difference. You can't just come and sit and be a consumer or a observer and do nothing. I wanna close with a really cool story from the Bible. It's also in the book of Acts, chapter 9. It's a story about a woman by the name of Dorcas. And one day she suddenly died, just unexpectedly, of an illness. Verse 36 said she was always doing good, always doing good and helping the poor. Wouldn't that be a great thing for people to say about you when you died? She was always doing good. He was always doing good. Well, her friends learned that Peter was nearby, and so they called for him, and he came to the house where Dorcas was laid out, where her body was laid out. It was up on a second floor, and the woman Dorcas's friends were crying and, and showing Peter all the clothing that she had made. That's how she served. She was a, a seamstress. She made clothes for people that needed them. And her acts of kindness and serving were a great testimony to the life that she had always lived. She was dead. But that's not the end of the story because Peter got down on his knees and he prayed for her, Dorcas, get up. And do you know what? Dorcas did get up. Verse 42 said, she got up and many people believed in the Lord. Can you imagine? I would believe in the Lord if somebody was raised from the dead. A friend that I had known named Dorcas is suddenly alive again. My friends, we are called to be like Dorcas too. You have a place in the world to go and make a difference, to discover what God has called you to do, and then go do it. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the church. We thank you that we are the body of Christ. We thank you that we are followers of Christ. And we thank you for the gifts of your Holy Spirit that empower and equip us to go and be the church in the world wherever you send us. Our homes, our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, the restaurant where we go, the, the tire place where we have our tires rotated. God, send us to be the church in the world. Help us, Lord, to use whatever gifts, whatever abilities you have given us, as big or as small as they are. Help us use them and put them into practice to serve you and your people so that this body of Christ will grow up in the fullness and stature and maturity of Christ, who is our head. And all God's people said, amen.